If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. But, but I do want to go back to this notion you're talking about the true friend, because I think there's this profound loneliness, you know, in modern life. If you look at statistics right now, one of the, one of the most profound things is depression and anxiety statistically yeah. and how it is destroying people. And because we live in a technological society, that's actually isolating to people, right? So social media relationships have been substituted for like your friends on Facebook. I always have, you know, they aren't actually your friends, right? I mean, Facebook mm. friends aren't actually friends. Now, some of your friends might be on Facebook, but, but like that's sort of a pseudo friendship. And real friends are super hard to find. And our, our society, because of technology and everything else, continues to be more and more isolating, causing more and more depression and anxiety for people and all these kinds of things. And there's a real sadness because people come to the church and they want to have these deep relationships. They want to have those, those things. And I think that the, I, I'll just come out and say it. I think that the church is, is underperforming in this area. Oh, I agree. Badly. And I think Catholic churches are, and we'll talk to Miss Simon, I think why, but I think Catholic churches perform worse in this area than evangelical churches do. I, I think Catholic churches are worse at creating these kinds of re relationships than, than the evangelical churches that you and I came out of. I believe in Catholicism. That's why, you know, I'm, I've got the Considering Catholicism podcast and I'm Catholic. But I, I will acknowledge that I think that the relationship thing was better, you know, and that doesn't mean wanting, me wanting to convert back or right. whatever. And, and but, I think but, it I, is but I do miss, I do miss the kinds of relationships that I had in, in the evangelical world because I've not found them in Catholicism and I've not found them in a Catholic parish. And we'll talk in a moment why, mm -hmm. but I do want to say this one thing about it. And that is that kind of true friend that you're talking about. Those are the, those are the, that's the glue. That's the real profound, deep stuff that holds you. Like if you, I do have like, you know, me, I could count off a hand or something, you know, friends that I've known since my college days or my high school days. Mm -hmm. And we've stuck with each other. And some of them, you know, I went to seminary with or just a handful of people. And at times when some of us have maybe been struggling in our lives with whatever, you know, times when you're discouraged and down, even times when you've been tempted, like, you know, so you're spiritually down and you kind of, yeah. you know, racked with a doubt or challenges in your relationship with God. Times when I have pastor friends that are like, I just want to quit and <laughs> go be a longshoreman or something because I just kind of hate ministry. Mm -hmm. It's those deep friends that hold you. I mean, I've had a couple of friends who, who, you know, called me and came over and like, you can't quit. You got to stick with this. You got to stick with Jesus and you got to stick with the church and you got to stick with this. And it's like, oh, okay. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the guy who I play in a church golf league with is a buddy, but he's not going to show up and be that 
person in my life. That's hard to find those people. That's really, really hard. And it, I, I don't, and, but we're all like struggling and depressed and anxious because we don't have those relationships. Right. And, and if you think it's hard to, to force community at sort of the buddy, buddy, we play baseball together. Um, it's just completely and utterly impossible to manufacture that kind you know, of soul intimate friend. friendship. Yeah. yeah. Um, nobody can do that. And I certainly don't pretend to be able to do that. Well, maybe I should say only God can do that. And that's the thing is that at the end of the day, the unity of the church, um, the, the bond between the members of the body is down to the Holy Spirit. And that's what I think you see at play in the book of Acts, which I keep coming back to, is that the Holy Spirit was, was bringing people together and forming these relationships. And I don't think that every person in that Jerusalem community for the first couple of years was an intimate friend. Um, I think there, there were intimate friendships there. I think we can infer that, but they were, they were one people and one family. And you only have that through the Holy spirit. And you only have that through people who don't have other natural bonds, either of kinship or of interest through, through the Holy spirit. Well, the Holy spirit bonded them despite their maybe personality differences. Well, right. And without the Holy spirit, that would have fallen apart. Peter and Paul, Peter and Paul were like not muy simpatico, buddy, buddy, buddies. They were like completely different personalities and they had personality, like serious clashes. And Mm -hmm. even among some of the other apostles, I I think one of the subtexts of the new, of the gospels is that Peter and John weren't always on the, the, the like most buddy, buddy level, even though they both grew up next to each other in fishing. Well, villages, think about but, Matthew, the tax collector being called into that. Yeah. Everybody, at least at first must've hated his guts. Yeah. Right. But, but somehow, right. Okay. So let's get to this thing, uh, as before the end of this episode, because, uh, you know, we've alluded to the fact that you and I as converts, having spent a lot of our lot, most of our Christian lives inside you know, the evangelical world have clearly voted with our feet. We believe in Catholicism. We mm-hmm. right believe in the Catholic church. Will till I die, we'll die a Catholic, right? Tell everybody that. But I, that doesn't mean I can't acknowledge that was, there were some really wonderful things uh, about, oh, yeah, my, sure. about, about my life as an evangelical. And one of the wonderful things was that like the quality of community relationships was 10 times better. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I just go out, I do on a list. I, I just go out there and it was, it was an order of magnitude better. The, 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 the evangelical churches that I was a part of in my life, an order of magnitude superior in terms of the relationships. And I think that's a kind of a sadness that I have because I feel like I'm in the Catholic church and I love the Catholic church and I love the doctrine of the church and I believe in it and, you know, we'll, you know, die for it. But I am sad because I just miss those relationships. Uh, and you know, for me as a convert too, I I had, I said goodbye to a lot of them and I've not found anything to replace them. And I don't see that in the Catholic church in the same way that I saw it. And I think, and you and I've talked, there's a reason why evangelical Mm -hmm. do, at least American evangelicals do the relationship better than Catholics. And I want you explain that. Yeah. Um, I'll start with the explanation that, that we've talked about before. And I've also got some other thoughts, but so there, there's a phenomenon um, that's common in the evangelical churches, especially, but in other Protestant churches is, is self-selection. And so you have a congregation oftentimes new, cause there's a lot of, a lot of church planting, but it, it draws and it, it purposefully um, attracts people that are of a certain uh, demographic or certain personality type, or, and I alluded to this earlier, 
So, so they want to be together. They're the same kinds of people. They have affinities, um, like we talked about at other stages of this conversation. Like there are reasons that they like each other. And so it's, it's really easy for them to form community. There's kind of glue there. They're culturally and personally more compatible. And so it, it feels like this, this Edenic community state, or it feels like that upper room in Acts, where it's like, wow, isn't this wonderful that we have this community? And to some extent, it, it's like, well, yes, of course, you, you drew together a certain kind of people. If, Let's talk about yeah. the, what the glue of that is. Yeah, so, yeah. You, so you come up with, because I planted three of those churches in my career, and then I was a consultant to church plants. So mm-hmm. first of all, you come up with a cool name you know, like Harvest Community Church or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And you got a cool logo and you have a charismatic personality as the senior pastor, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, And then there's a certain style of music with a cool music pastor. And then there's a certain, you know, like architectural like style when you walk in, right? So it's it's kind of like, like it's branded, Right. It's heavily branded. And the style and it, of worship. And, stuff, right. Yeah. So there's a guy and he's the guy up front. And then there's the music guy and there's the style of the songs and there's the cool look and the feel on the coffee in the little coffee area in the, in, in the lobby. And there's, right. So it creates this branded experience. Just like you have, like you go up and down restaurant row, you know, in a town and you go, there's this restaurant A, B, C, D, E. And each of them creates this this unique experience. Right. And, and then so you what have happens? Five or six of those in a town. Yeah, five or six of those in a town. And each one of them has like a, a a customer base that just loves that, right? Like I'm super into the Italian place, or we're super into the to the you know the barbecue thing, or there's this Pan Asian thing, or whatever the case may be. Mm. And we're like all super into that. And you go in there, and they go all in on that, and it creates this loyal that that. Per, that senior pastor's personality, the music style, the place, this and that. So now you have 100, 200, 500 people who are all there because they all love, they're all of the same, right? They all, they all fit like this, this, this psychographic personality. Right. And they're all there for exactly the same reason that they're all there to be there because they like that. And so it's super easy. And then, and then the church organizes around that and it becomes easy to create those affinity relationships. That's right. what you're saying about self-selection. So I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, I, that's, that's a helpful clarification. Yeah. So, so that I think is one of the, the main reasons why there's, there's this sort of uh, unique form of community in these kinds of churches. On the other hand, I think that there is also, there's a lot of zeal often in these communities and at worst, or at, at you sort of a more cynical interpretation of that would be, well, they're excited and they're emotional and they're, you know, really ramped up by this brand that's been put together. The, the sort of other interpretation of it would be that this is genuinely the Holy Spirit working in them and in the community. And I think it often is because there's a lot of zeal in a lot of these Protestant communities. And then it becomes kind of like that, that community in Acts, where if the Holy Spirit is, people are cooperating with the grace of the Holy Spirit, then a lot of wonderful things happen and the church grows and, and bonds together as a community. What I think for a, a, the downside for a lot of these is that it, it can be ephemeral. Um, it, it's as long as that pastor is there. Yeah, once that um, senior pastor leaves or 
the bo- elder board decides to fire the senior pastor. Or there's some or they kind of a, scandal. Or they bring in a or, new guy or they change the music. Then now it's like your favorite restaurant. Change the menu. Change the menu, got a new chef, whatever's under new ownership. And you go, oh, that's not the same. as that. We used to love that place, but we don't love it anymore. So now we're looking for a new like mm-hmm. favorite restaurant. Right. And this can happen in Catholic parishes as well. I mean, this is a human thing. You have either the, the very charismatic um, parish priest um, and then he leaves and every, people jump ship. Or you have um, parishes that are particularly, um, you know, they they kind of major in something. There's the charismatic parish, or there's the traditional parish, or, or what social have justice you. parish. Or sure, what? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and so you have people who are drawn for for those particular reasons, um, or it's just like this is a parish in a neighborhood where everybody is kind of a particular social. Well, I'm thinking of profile. a parish that we both know where you know nothing wrong with it. God bless them. But where a lot of the people are immigrants, mm-hmm. um, you know, Hispanic immigrants and God bless them. I'm happy they are. Right. I'm, uh, but th- th- they walk in and they go, Hey, look, we're all like, right. we and, all speak Spanish. And, th- and, and that's together. basically a survival of that ethnic parish model. Yeah. Um, that was more common in the past, but, but does still exist in some places. Okay. So that's maybe one of the ways that evangelical churches it becomes easier for them or more, they more naturally create this kind of community feeling. So why doesn't that work in most Catholic parishes? And what is this particular challenge that you and I have talked about a lot offline um, about the Catholic parish that, that in some ways makes it almost inherently makes it worse. And, and, and I know there's a reason because we've talked about it and G.K. Chesterton mm. describes it. Right, right. Yeah, it, it, it's much more challenging because the idea of the parish, like this isn't just in practice, this is in canon law, is that it, the members of the parish are literally every Catholic within a geographical boundary. Yeah. So, so, so just yeah, to be clear, I just mm. want to say that again for those listeners who are, you know, considering Catholicism, don't know Catholicism. Mm. A, a parish is literally like you take a map and you draw like, you know, radiuses around a parish. And in canon law, a parish and the pastor of that parish has a responsibility for the, the souls within that 10 mile radius. And, you know, if you look at the map and you go, there's a parish here and there's another parish five miles away and there's another parish five miles away, you go, you have sort of spiritual responsibility for the, the souls of that, the, that community. And it is a geographic community right. by definition it's not and that's i think really hard for protestant evangelicals to wrap their mind around right and and it's not um i don't think this is inherent to protestantism necessarily but it is inherent to modern american culture which i think protestantism uh shares in to a large degree is that it's a consumer culture we just assume that we go where we want to go because of our preferences and not because of any predetermined factors like where we live. Um, you know, I, I, I live, you know, a block away from this church, but I like the one that's on the other side of town or two towns over. Because I like that pastor and I like the architecture and I like their music. And this is completely understandable. Like I, I get it. I'm not knocking it because I think it's stupid or something like you, I can totally understand. Okay. So let me put my cards on my table. Go for it. This could get me in trouble with my listeners and some of my listeners who are supporters of this podcast. We'll get back to the conversation in just a few moments, but first I'd like to ask for your support in producing and expanding this podcast. It's produced by a 501c3 nonprofit ministry called One Whirling Adventure, 
with a mission to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. Now, the production budget of this podcast isn't big, but it is real. We've set a goal of 40,000 worldwide downloads in 2023, with a crowdfunding goal of $35,000 to make that happen. Would you help us make that happen? If so, please go to consideringcatholicism.com. You can see our GuideStar charity rating there and donate online with a one-time or recurring gift. And if you have a business or organization interested in sponsoring our ministry, please shoot me an email, greg at consideringcatholicism.com. Thank you for listening and considering helping us to help others consider Catholicism. And now, back to the conversation. Uh, so when I decided to become Catholic, right, I had spent 20 years studying Catholicism, you know, I was traveling a lot and I visit all these amazing cathedrals and big churches around the country and the world. And I was like, you know, reading books and watching Bishop Barron videos and the whole nine yards. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to become Catholic. And so the first thing I did was I go, all right, well, Catholicism, you have a parish. So I get out like, you know, like <laughs> the internet. And I'm like, where's the nearest parish for me to walk into? Hmm. And I mean, I'd been into like, you know, Notre Dame in Paris and all these other things. And I'm like Cologne Cathedral. And I'm like, well, where's my local parish? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it's like five miles away. So I get in my car and I drove it the first time walking. I go, this is not like that. Right? Now, Notre I know Dame, that, it is not. No, Notre Dame our, or Cologne Cathedral. Our Lady of yeah. the Lake, not Our Lady of And Bali. I know there's a lot of listeners at Our Lady of the Lake, and please don't get mad at me about this, but it just, it isn't. It isn't like that. And so it isn't like those those ideal, like, I'm not that they're, but, you know, those those kinds of mm-hmm. ex- places and those expressions of, right, the architecture isn't like that. The people's like, the music wasn't like that. And, you know, you had built up all these expectations and you'd seen the Bishop Barron Catholicism series where he's walking through Notre Dame talking about the rose window. And I go, where's the rose window? There's no rose window. And you kind of walk through and go, uh, this isn't like that at all. And my first instinct was, well, um, you know, 30 miles away over downtown, there's like the cathedral and there's a basilica. And, and I went over and checked out those. I go, those are pretty cool. Those are much more like mm-hmm. those things. You know, I said to my wife, we, we, we could go to church there. And then it really struck me like, if I was going to that, and then I was being a consumer. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly why I decided to join the Catholic church was I didn't want to be an evangelical consumer anymore. I wanted to bring myself under the, the authority to live mm-hmm. under the authority of the Roman Catholic church, which meant that being humble enough to go, well, the authority of the Roman Catholic church says, this is my parish. And as much as I want to get in the car every Sunday and drive over to the big, pretty basilica, this is my parish. And so I guess is where I'm going to go. Now, I know I'm going to have like so many people <laughs> mad at me for saying this, but, but then you and I have talked offline. Talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit. Well, yeah, um, because there is something very important. And so very- I want you to say this instead of me. That way I'm not. not okay. Yeah, there we go. Um, we can both get nasty emails. Um, but there's, there's something very important and, and very human and about actually being in the pew next to your real neighbors, the people who actually live near you 
Um, you alluded to a, to a Chesterton quote earlier. He, he talks about how it, he makes one of these classic Chesterton quips where he says, God tells us to love our enemies and he tells us to love our neighbors because they're often the same people. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, and it's interesting, the full context of that quote mm-hmm. is he says, he's talking about being cosmopolitan. Right, right. And having this notion of being worldly. And he says, so people will travel all around the world and take these elaborate trips to go find all these amazing, having these amazing experiences and meet all these people. Because, but really what they've done is they've traveled around the world, use your term, and self-selected. They've gone and picked places and people they like. Right. They find all the people in every place that think like them, that like the same kinds of things. Right. It's like, oh, you know, when I was in, when I was in the little village in France and met Pierre and we were into the same things and you go, right, but there's an, a, 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 a cantankerous old lady who lives next door to you, who is a little dog, you know, poops on your lawn and, you know, or whatever. And the people on the other side, the teenagers park on your thing and they play their music too loud and, you know, right. Mm. And I can't stand those people. I just want to get on a plane and go back to, you know, France and meet my good friend Pierre again, which shows how worldly and cosmopolitan I am. I am. And, and, and uh, Chesterton says the whole world is contained in your, on your block because that old lady next door whose little poodle comes and poops on your lawn and the teenagers next door that both parties too loud and the guy across the street who puts out political yard signs of the opposite <laughs> candidate, right? And all, you can't stand any of those people. But those are your neighbors. And those are the people that God has given you particularly to love and, and show attention to. And to go to church and kneel next to people that, that you have nothing in common with except that they're your neighbors. Right. And, and, and that's, that's like a humility. Like that's a right. humbling thing. And for me, it was like a deep conviction that if I'm going to be Catholic, I'm going to go to church and kneel in mass next to my neighbors. Yeah. And, and this isn't to discount sort of the, uh, the experiential aspect of community and intimacy with other people and knowing people and feeling like you belong, which is good and important. And I think we should strive for that. But in, in that sense, I think the Catholic parish mirrors in a deeper and more fundamental way that Acts 2, Acts 3 community, because that was people who had been drawn together from all over the world. Like you look at the day of Pentecost, there are people from all over the world there who became Christians and joined that early community and the Holy Spirit bonded them together and then sent many of them out to go and preach the gospel and bring people of every nation and all cultures and all personalities in. And that's what every Catholic parish is. It's, it's like that nucleus of the church. In yeah, Acts. but let's jump a little bit ahead of Acts chapter two or past Acts two, mm. because that's what I was saying earlier. When you look at the letters of Paul and he's writing letters to these New Testament churches he's founding. Mm. And he's like, I hear that there are divisions among you. Knock that crap off. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry if you're saying that, but I mean, right? Like nope. he's like, geez, I hear that the two If he spoke English, that's exactly what he would say. Right, it was, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I hear that you guys are all bickering amongst yourselves. Knock that crap off and and kneel and do the Eucharist together. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, yeah. And there's a humility and a grace of going, I need to work this out. I need to kneel next to my neighbors. I need to deal with the person next the guy across the street from you has the political yard signs that are different than mine. I need to deal with the the neighbor teenagers that are obnoxious. Mm-hmm. I need to deal with the grouchy old lady next door. I can't just go like going to my favorite restaurant, going to find my church where I, I find a bunch of people who, who like the same kind of music and read the same books that I do and like have the same life experiences mm-hmm. I do and appreciate 
the same kind of art and architecture I do and blah, 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 blah. Because now all I've done is I've created a cell and, and it really isolates me. It doesn't really open me up mm-hmm. to God and it doesn't really make me Catholic in the sense of universal. Yeah. I mean, on the practical level, I think there's a degree to which we need both. Like you, you do need to have your close friends who probably do have similar interests to you, the people you're going to spend time with. Um, and then you also need to make an effort to not just kneel in the pew next to the person and, and, but, but actually make concrete efforts to be a part of the parish community and to, to show love for these people in the very many ways that we can do that. Um, I think it's when we get, um, when we get locked into just one or the other and we're not willing to do both, we, we will only associate with the people who are like us and who we can form close friendships with us. Or we have sort of an impersonal uh, relationship with everybody. And well, as long as I'm nice to all these people and I don't have enemies at this parish, then that's fine. Um, it, it's hard. It's undoubtedly hard. We have, a, we have a greater challenge than in a self-selected community. But I think it really is the Lord's work. And this is where the Holy Spirit is, is working. And yeah, and it does humble me. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's the big thing. You know, when when I go self-select and find, right? I mean, there's so much. We we just finished this series uh, on the podcast about the seven deadly sins. And we talked about the seven capital sins we explained. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how the sort of the top of the, top of the chocolate fountain, you know, that flows down is mm-hmm. the sin of pride, right? Where, and 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 the thing is, is that, when I go, right, whatever you're into, right? I know what I'm into. Um, I know the kind of music I like and the kind of books I like to read and the kind of architecture and art I like and all that. And and um, and I can go surround myself with a bunch of people that I, that, that enjoy all those things. And then we feel like, oh my gosh, look how sophisticated we are. And look how- How much better we are than all the, you know, the hoi polloi. Yeah, all the other people who, you know- um, who don't appreciate all of these things and haven't read all of these books and blah, blah. And, and basically, you know, and people like me are, are, are always at risk of becoming like, you know, these kind of conceited, gloated gas bags. In fact, people like me, you know, pretty much live half our life as conceited, bloated gas bags. And so we always, and, and so I think there's this huge thing where um, conceited, gloated gas bags like me need to have a needle poked in us and the air taken out. And I think that, that the Catholic church does that. The, the Catholic church makes me kneel next to people with the lady with the stupid little dog and the, you know, obnoxious mm. teenagers and the guy with the stupid candidate yard signs on his thing. And, and that's, I think, good for me. Yeah. Um, it's good I think for it's them humbling. Too. It's good for them and it's good for us. And it's what it really means to, to be the church. And you know, one of the things that's interesting, so I'm, I'm looking at the clock and of all of the episodes, I think we're up to 127 episodes, 128 episodes now for this podcast. Mm-hmm. So we'll be nearing our sequicentennial soon. Ooh. But of the 127, this may be the longest one. <laughs> oh, and, and I think that's really kind of interesting because this is such an issue. Like we've talked on this podcast about so many like doctrinal and dogmatic things, mm-hmm. uh, but like this issue is where we live. Yeah, and and it's just as consequential for people's lives, maybe even more so than, yeah, than the doctrine. Yeah. I mean, there there are people who who end up wandering away from the faith because they feel this. isolated yeah, in their parents. There are there are a lot of people. There's probably more people who wander away from the church mm-hmm. 
because of failure of community or their disappointment or whatever, yeah. the exp- not feeling community or the relationships, then a disagreement about, you know, you and I are going to record a couple more episodes here soon about some really dogmatic doctrinal, you know, you know, things. And, and that's great. And people do disagree about that from but, time to but time. But you know but, what? The thing that will break your heart more than anything else is is, is broken relationships and people. And, mm-hmm. and, and even as, as an old guy, even when you agree with people about all the doctrinal stuff and all the intellectual stuff and all the art history stuff and all that, and man, relationships just become broken. Mm-hmm. And that desire for friendship, that desire for connection, that desire for community is so fundamental. I would argue that we were created fundamentally to be in relationship. You know, one of the things that when you look at what, what does it mean to be created in God's image, mm-hmm. right? Right. Uh, God is a Trinity, three persons, one God, but three persons that are in dynamic relationship with each other. So when he creates man in his image, we don't fully um, realize the image of God in us when we're in isolation, mm-hmm. only in relationship. That's why I think God gave us marriage. That's what John Ginnis just says, marriage in the family, but then the church and community relationships. So there's nothing that will sort of cut us deeper. Absolutely. Uh, that will cut us deeper than broken relationship, whether that's broken families, broken churches. You talk about parishes falling apart or whatever because of fractured relationships. I mean, there's just, and when those things are strong, we can work through a lot of other things. So I think it's an interesting that in all the 130 or whatever it is that we're up to now episodes in this podcast, (laughs) this is probably the longest one because I think this is super powerful. Yeah, no, and it's incredibly important in people's lives. So as the director of community life and director of family ministries for the Lakeshore Academy for the new evangelization, what are your closing thoughts for people who are listening to this go, I just am really hurting and I really, really need those relationships in my church? I mean, the first thing I'll just say is that I feel for you um, and I understand um, and I don't want to minimize that in any way. Like that, that the thing that you're feeling is a fundamental a fundamental need of the human person. And, and it's only amplified by the fact that the church is the place where we should find the fulfillment of that in Christ specifically. And then through Christ, we have communion with all of his people, all the members of his body. So don't feel like there's something wrong with you. If, if that's what you're um, experiencing and then second, I, I recommend this to you, but also just to myself and to anybody is, is to pray. I mean, we've been talking about that it's only by the Holy Spirit um, that we are, are bonded together and, into one family and one community as the church. Pray for that. And then I know this is more or less difficult for different people, for different personality types. I'm, I'm not an especially extroverted person myself, but we have to put in the effort. Um, we have to look for the people who will be our closer friends, whether that's in the baseball league or the knitting club or, or whatnot, um, or just, you know, trying to talk to that person who, like you, also has the three screaming kids or, or is also looks like they could be an empty nester or whatever stage you are in life. And then we have to want it. We have to pray for it and we have to want it. So it's trying to make those relationships and then making yourself available to take the meal to the person who's had a surgery or had a baby or showing up to the parish picnic or 
um, working at the soup kitchen or, or whatever it is. Like or bringing your kids out to the forest. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, you yeah. know, right. You know, we're just joking. Because we had a wonderful day today. It was a Saturday and Corey brought all of his kids out. And we, and, and we played in the forest today and, and uh, out here uh, in the secret, secret compound. And mm -hmm. it's just, I mean, that's really where, you know, as a, as a pastor, uh, and just as a person, but when I, all the years I spent the pastor, I've been at a lot of deathbeds, mm -hmm. you know, and this is kind of a cliche, but, uh, nobody that I have ever met on their deathbed says, you know, I just wish I'd spent more time at the office or I wish I had made more money or mm -hmm. I wish I had done, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or I wish I'd written more books or I wish I'd, you know, what they always do is I wish that I was closer to so-and-so and I wish I could have those hours back or I wish I'd had more hours with her. I wish I still was in, you know, I wish I, you know, hadn't broken that relationship. Broken that relationship. I wish that so-and-so was still, you know, here or here with me. That's, that's at the end, the things that, that count and mm -hmm. you got to invest in it. And we have to do a way better job as churches and parishes. We can't force those relationships. You can't force friendships. But as you say, and what you do is you can try to, as you put it, create the conditions mm -hmm. that like a garden where you kind of till it and fertilize it and hope and cultivate it and hope, hope that it grows. Yeah. I mean, and people like me can and should do that. And I think that is important, but it's only going to be effective insofar as the people want it and the people cooperate with it. And it's not just on our own power. Like I've been saying, it's, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have to cooperate with that grace. We have to put in the time, make ourselves available and, and be interested in, in the people in our parishes and, and to be open and inviting and welcoming to them. And it's not going to happen if we don't do that. Well, Corey, this is so profound. And, and I almost feel like we have to just come back to this issue more than once. To be honest with you, a lot of times on the podcast, we say, you know, we've got this series on the seven deadly sins, or we've got this series on this or this mm -hmm. series on that. And it's all super interesting. And I know our listeners value that. And then I called you the other day, go, hey, let's just do this kind of little one-off thing on community. It's kind of like a, a buffer episode between before we launch the next sort of, you know, mm -hmm. you know, big topical thing. And we like touched the third rail or I don't know, or we, we like tapped into this like rich mind because... I'm still thinking of more things that I want to say about this yeah. because I really, you know, the older I get, the more I think that this is the stuff of life. And I feel like we got to talk more about this because, you know, we can, we can have all of these fantastic doctrinal, you know, what does Paul say, right? First Corinthians 13, he says, you know, if I can speak with the tongue of men and angels and I can answer all doctrinal questions and, mm -hmm. and do all theology and write and write all the books and do all that. But I but don't, don't have, have love. love. But if I don't have love, it's it's just pointless. Mm -hmm. And you know, I I can read a thousand theological books and doctrinal books, and I can know Thomas Aquinas upside down and backwards and the Church Fathers, and I can answer every apologetic question somebody sends with me. But if I'm if I don't have love, I'm just a I'm just a weird old dude sitting in a studio or talking into a microphone or sitting here in the forest like. <laughs> weirdly talking about Thomas Aquinas or something. And at the end of the day, it's, it's sitting here with people that you care about and, and, and filming those friendships. Cause, cause like really, I, I told you before we even started tonight, I just feel like we're, you know, we're living in dark times and I think they're going to get darker before we come out of them. 
And in times like this, I, I, you know, you cling to Jesus and you cling to truth, but you cling to to relationships, you cling to family and friends and the people that matter and your your and if you don't have that, and so many people don't, they're just they're just really struggling. Right. And and as the church, we should be essentially the life raft for people like that who don't have community because that that's what the church is, is it's meant to draw in all all people and make them part of this relationship with God and, and with each other. You know, look at look at Genesis. Or look at the Genesis and Revelation. The church starts in a garden with community, right? With the community between a man and a woman. A man, a woman, yeah. and, and God. God. And and it ends, where does the Bible end? In a city, hmm. right? In Genesis 21, 22, it's the new Jerusalem. It's a city. It's a city of life. It's a city of people. And, and you are, you are those people, you are the people that I have saved and, and, and you are the body of Christ as people. And so I just don't want to be first Corinthians, the, the, the dark side of first Corinthians 13 and say like, you know, Hey, you know, we figured out all of the apologetic answers to the Protestants or to the atheists or this or that. And, you know, Corey and I could sit here and talk about church fathers and doctrinal and dogmatic stuff all day long and come up with all kinds of clever, you know, answers. But at the end of the day, if man, if, if we aren't, we aren't building this. And I do think that the article that we talked about to begin with it, this whole, you know, forced fun thing, I, I do think it maybe is tilting at windmills, but, but, but if, it, if that is, we still have to create something authentic or we have to let something mm-hmm. authentic happen, or we have to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. To be, and then we, it's like, I, you know, you made this point, right? Okay you have to be open to it, whoever you are, mm-hmm. right? I mean, God's put people in front of you. Um, it, you, know, <laughs> you know, you can sit there and say, God, I don't have any friends. And you go, well, I what did about s- that guy? What about that old lady next to you? You mean the one with the yap yap dog that poops on my lawn? And I go, and God says, yeah, her, but she's a, you know, weird old lady. And you go, well, Yeah. What about that guy across the street? You mean the guy with the political candidate signs on his lawn that like, yeah. What about him? What about walking across the street? What about the the teenagers next to you? We have people that play that smoke weed and play their music too loud. Yeah. What about them? And at some point you have to reach out. You have to find those bridges. You have to find those people. You have to be useful in people's lives because I don't think you want to get to the end and say, Lord, 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 I read all the books and I knew all the apologetics and I went to all the Catholic podcasts and websites, but I, man, I, I sort of died alone and I was never useful to anybody. Yeah. So I think we got to come back to this topic. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, the podcast, we have a whole new field of things to add to, to topics, but this has been like surprisingly interesting because I just thought this would be like a quick one off. <laughs> I turned it up like two episodes of like, you know, whatever. And I think we just need to keep exploring this topic. Yeah, absolutely. We can definitely do that. So thanks, Corey. Yep. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com and email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com